today um, is, uh, you know, some of you are still sort of in that, uh, I can tell, or sort of in that Valentine's Day afterglow. Um, uh, for those of you for whom it went really well, uh, we had 15 couples here for the, uh, the marriage workshop yesterday. It was awesome. We had a great time with uh, Bob and Deb uh, Auger. Some are in the Valentine's afterglow. Some are in the Valentine's uh, letdown, maybe, depending on how things went for you. Uh, but in light of this theme um, of love, I would like to bring it to what the Word says and some things that we just heard from First John as well. Uh, but before we get to that, in, in preparation for this message, I did some really extensive uh, Research uh, and my source material were um, were candy hearts, and um, I found some a lot of the kind of the typical ones. Uh, I found I felt pulled out a few that I thought were kind of fun. Well, be mine. That's sort of a typical one. Um, too cool. I don't know what that means if if that's a good thing or not, but too cool. Um, here's um, LOL. That's a good. That used to be a little old lady when I was a kid, but now we know what that means. But. Um, uh, here, here's one, gotcha, G-O-T-C-H-A, gotcha, whatever that is. And this one, I love this one. Some of the guys, you'll appreciate this one. Yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, I love this one. Sup, S-U-P, sup, babe. <laughs> sup, babe, here, babe. <laughs> okay, good deal. Anyway, and, and you're familiar with these. Some of the cl- and I left the bag in the senior high room. I don't know how many of you ate those or digest, have, have sort of digested some of these words. But anyway, some of the typical ones, be mine, be true, cutie pie, love ya. Um, some of them I've seen are come in sort of the communications category, call me, text me, things like that. Um, some of the newer ones with sort of a, a, a newer twist or that LOL, and then I found one that said BFF, and I thought that was pretty clever. And then I found one that really puzzled me, 143. How many know what 143 means? Oh, okay, good, good. A couple people are up on the... 143 means I love you. I is one word. Love is four, or one letter. F- love is four letters. And you is three letters. And now you're all going, oh, I should have seen that, right? Or most of you are going, would have never figured that out. But um, that's 143. So, Mig, 143, baby. Sup. Okay. Um, <laughs> So we focused on love this weekend, um, two movies that have kind of gone up against each other. I'm not even going to name them because it's sort of disgusting. One of them, the other one, I'm kind of intrigued by the one old-fashioned. All of this Valentine hype and all this experience and all this expressions of love. Last week when we did the, the final uh, promo advertisement for the marriage seminar, uh, we listened to the Beatles sing, love is all you need, love, love, love. But when we come to Scripture... Um, and to an experience of God, and there's a lot of love there as well, but it's not simply love, 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 but it is God is love. That's why I love this text that Rose just read for us. Over and over again it says, God is love. And when I poked through a couple little boxes of sweet tart hearts that I bought the other day on Friday, and then yesterday I picked up a bag of, of these candy hearts um, at Oswald. I couldn't find them anywhere. They're out everywhere. Megan said, go to Oswald's. So if you want to travel back in time, they've got candy hearts at Oswald. Anyway, so as I was poking through here, I couldn't find a single heart that said, God is love. And so I decided I would toss out the candy and I would give them to the senior high kids and I would grab my Bible because that was a much better place to do research on love. (laughs) And when I grabbed my Bible, I turned to this chapter, this great love chapter. We think of 1 Corinthians Corinthians 13 as a great love chapter, but this one, chapter 4 of 1 John also and the things that it says. 
In fact, the word love comes through in its various forms 43 times in the book or the letter of 1 John. 43 times in 1 John and 32 times right in this section that we just heard. 32 times and twice the phrase God is love just in this section. Let me just read again a couple of the verses. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Wow, can you feel the love? That's what's up, babe, the love. There's a lot of it there. And we can't cover it all, and I'm not going to do an extensive exegesis of this passage. But I want us to just sort of spend a few minutes looking at this one profound truth that God is love and seeing how that can kind of connect with, with some of the questions that, that, that we ask as we approach life. There's not a single heart in the bag, a single heart in the bag of candy that I bought that says God is love, but it's written big on God's heart. His very nature, it's his very, its very origin is in the heart of God, in the reality of who God is, and His love really does become the answer, in a sense, ultimately to all things. So this is what we're going to look at. We're going to approach some questions of life. Scripture tells us that God is the origin and the very essence of love. That God is love. And that simple, powerful truth offers answers to some of life's big questions. It answers the question of creation, of why are we here in the first place. It answers the question of free will. Why are we given this choice to to choose a life that would move away from him? It answers the question about providence, of of the ongoing care and sustaining of creation. It answers the question of redemption. Is there any hope for us? And it answers the question of life beyond. Is there any hope for us beyond this life? So we're going to look at these questions briefly and and see what the word says. The question of creation. If we consider the state of the world right now and we kind of look out there, we we see pockets of good. We get get encouraging reports. When we had Fred Casango here a few weeks ago, we saw that actually some things are changing in this very difficult region of the world where our hearts have been connected in the northwestern part of Congo. We find that some things are happening that are, are moving forward and advancements are made, but the news isn't all good. There's always news of conflict. There's always war stories of, of war and of tensions. There's always sad stories of loss. There's disasters that seem unfair, but it seems that even now there are more scarier, uglier things going on. In the Cold War, it was very clear who the enemies were and who the good guys were, and now as terrorism has found and and spread its fingers through things, it becomes a more scary world to live in. And some of the brutality of groups like ISIS in the Middle East, and particularly of Boko Haram in Africa, with blatant disregard for human life. And both of them based in a very frightening and extremely perverted religious zeal make us wonder, what is going on? And why did God create this world in the first place? And what has happened to it? There's a rampant disobedience and a lack of response to him. And we think it must grieve that heart of God. And so the question then becomes, why did God create a world that seems to bring him nothing but trouble? And the answer is, God is love. Okay, let's go to the next question. No. (laughs) We need to look at this. See, because God is love, for him to create was was, was essential to his nature. He's a a creating God and he's a loving God. He is love and he therefore has to have something and somebody to love. 
God cannot exist in a, in a lonely isolation. So God, in the, in, in the reaches of time, which is a different sense of time than we know, in the reaches of time, had to create the world and, and populate it because it's his very nature to love. And so creation issues forth from God's nature. And as part of that creation, we humans are said to be created in his image. Meaning we have the same desire to create. We have the same capacity to love. We have the same, have the same capacity to, to interact with him and with one another. And we see that woven through this passage in 1 John chapter 4 of all these interactions with God, with one another, and loving one's sister and one's brother. All woven through here. And so living the right way in his creation then is to live in God's love. It's the only way that it works. Some of you know the name John Stott. John Stott was one of the, the really great evangelical leaders of the 20th century. He just died a couple of years ago, actually. He was a British man originally, but spent a lot of time in this country and in Canada. He was one of the very, one of the very positive influencers of 20th century evangelicalism. And he said this about God's love. He says, take a fish as an obvious example. God created fish to live and thrive in water, whether salt or fresh. Gills are adapted to absorb oxygen from water, so water is the element in which a fish finds its identity. It finds its fishness. I have a red squiggle under that, but anyway. It's limited to water, but in that, or its freedom, it finds its, its fishness, its freedom. It finds itself in the element for which it was created, water. It's limited to water, but in that limitation is liberty. It's limited to water, but it's quite free when it's in the water. Suppose you had a little tropical fish in one of those old-fashioned spherical goldfish bowls. Suppose the little fish swam round and round in his, in his blessed bowl until its frustration became unbearable. An aside, I used to wonder that about goldfish. I'm going, it must be so boring to be a goldfish. And then I realized that his brain is so tiny, it doesn't know how bored it is. But anyway... Um, this one swimming round and round his blessed bowl until his frustration became unbearable. The fish decided to make a bid for freedom and leaps out of the bowl. If it landed in a pond in your backyard, it would increase its freedom because there would be more water to swim in. But if it landed on the concrete or on the carpet, then its bid for freedom would spell death. If fish were meant for water, what are human beings meant for? It would be interesting if we had time to sit down alongside one another and share our answers to that question. If fish were made for water, what are human beings made for? What is the element in which human beings find themselves as water is the element in which a fish finds itself? I don't hesitate to say that according to Scripture, the answer is love. Human beings are made for love because God is love. When he created us in his own image, he gave us the capacity to love and to be loved. So human beings find their destiny in loving God and in loving their neighbors. The question of creation is answered that this is what we live into. We live into the the love of God. We don't just have a simple existence here. But if we live into the love of God and when things move away from that is when the world gets messed up. But when we live according to God's way and live into the relationships he calls us to, we're living in the element that he's called us to live in. Just like a fish in water. Now, as I was looking at my hearts again here, still none of them say God is love, but there were two that kind of speak of how God feels about us. One of them that I found says, you rock. <laughs> and of course, the BFF is a good one. 
And to me, those are just simple little reminders that we are, we are created for his pleasure, yes, but we are also created for relationship, for living in relationship. Now, I found a couple hearts that have to do with a second question, the question of free will. One of them says, my way, and the other one says, be mine. My way, or yes, dear, maybe would be sort of a, a different converse on that one, <laughs> is how we generally respond to God. In our, in our general state where we're sort of left on our own, we kind of say, thanks for creating me, God. I'm going to do this my way. <laughs> but be mine is what God says lovingly to us. I want you to be mine. And it raises the question then of why did God give us the ability to make our own choices when his way is the only way anyway? Why did God make it that way? Why did God set it up that way? Or why did God give us the ability to choose not to love him? Did did God forget when he was creating? Did God make a mistake? Now, if the answer was, quote, God is law, you know, that might be easier. Instead of God is love. God is law. If God was, it was God is law instead of God is love, then he could have made us like sort of a little programmed, which has two M's in it, right, Diana? Programming has two M's in it, yeah. Uh, not your fault. <laughs> um, that, those were the two typos for those of you that are still trying to figure that out. Um, programming in amount, anyway. But if a God was law, then he would program us. We would have, be like little programmed relationship droids. We would be like little, little robots who respond to God in exactly the right way. But we would have no more choice than a, a program machine would have. We would uh, be, be more like a machine. But it's not God is law. It's God is love, and he desires a relationship. And love requires a free response of the heart, or it isn't love. Do you get that? Love requires a free response back, or it isn't love at all. It's just an automatic response or a programmed response. God then, by sort of a deliberate act of self-limitation had to endow us or give us free will. The ability to choose my way or respond to his be mine. Because God is love, we are given this choice. Another question is a question of providence, of God's ongoing care. Many years ago in our, our little tiny backyard in Arizona, I became a creator. I created something. I created a little waterfall and pond. I picked up some rocks that I found out in the desert washes. I bought a liner that I dropped down into the dirt. I bought a pump. I even figured out a way for it to have sort of an auto-fill feature that I didn't have to keep running the hose out to it. It would fill up every day on the timer that I had for watering our garden. So I built this thing, and once I was done, I, I filled it, and I turned it on, and I left it alone. It didn't need me to do anything to take care of it. It just kept running, day after day, week after week, month after month. Occasionally, I'd have to kind of clean out and unclog the filter a little bit, and clean up a little bit of the slime, but other than that, it just ran on and on, day after day, season after season. In that climate, you could actually, could actually run all winter. Sometimes we, we would get a freeze sometimes, but that thing, because it was running, never, never froze up. Day after day after day. And it raises the question then of providence. Why didn't God just create the world in such a way that it could run itself after he was done with it? Others have believed that that's actually what God did. Some of you remember from 
history classes that Thomas Jefferson was a deist, meaning he believed that there was a God or a, a power of God that did create things, but just sort of let it go on its own. Now, if God were not just God is law, but if God were only mind, if God were only order, if God was only a God of, of, of not a personal God, but just a sort of God who, who set things in motion, that would make sense. That would be logical. That would be practical and efficient to create a world that ran itself well. But remember, the answer is God is love, not just God is creator, but God as creator is God is love. And so a God of relationship with the creation wants to be a part of it. He wants to interact with it. And so his, he could have created a world if he wasn't a relational God. He could have created a world that ran itself, but he's a relational God. He is the God of love. And that's why we read that his, an experience in our own lives, that his creating act is followed by his constant care. Providence is not only the capital of Rhode Island, but it is God's ongoing care. He can't keep his hands off of us. <laughs> Because he loves us and interacts with who we are and what we're doing. We read it all through the Old Testament. We see how he gathered up the children of Israel together. How he guided the children of Israel. How he disciplined them and yet he still provided for them. Even when he had had it up to here with them, he still provided for them. And always, always, always was moving towards his children in love. And then it comes into the, the New Testament. And we experience it as we, as we come to Christ and Christ has, Christ has made a way to extend the love of God to us and to care for us and to guide us. And even when Christ removed himself physically from the situation, he promised and gave and followed through on the promise by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who is available to us every single day, whether we're thinking about the Holy Spirit or not. The Spirit is there providing guidance and assurance and the Spirit speaks to us and God provides community like we talked about last week. That's why it touched a, 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 touched a nerve for us because we, we realize, we know that we can't do this walk with Christ all by ourselves. It's part of God's provision, part of God's providence. These are God's caring gifts, the gift of interaction, the gift of communication, the gift of community, and the gift of conversation are all from God. And the gift of prayer, where we not only speak to God, but we hear from Him. He cares about the details of our life. He is a God of love who didn't just set us into motion and step back, but stays fully engaged with us because His very nature and His very essence is love. Another question is a question of, of redemption or salvation, I suppose. But I like the word redemption here, that God is a redeeming God. Because we have messed this up, we've done the my way thing. There's a common concept in certain law enforcement situations, particularly in schools, public schools and other schools, called zero tolerance. You've heard that before, zero tolerance. In schools, it's usually in relationship to uh, drugs or weapons or, or, or serious threats of, of, of violence or acts of violence, certainly. First time I remember hearing it was way back when our children were in elementary school. And it was a two-story two school. And um, there was zero tolerance for throwing things off the stairway, <laughs> which we sort of laugh about that. But at that school, it was like some of those things could hurt. And so they had this, you know, you throw something off the stairway... Boom, sudden death. Well, what, you know, suspension or whatever. I think you got, back to, got to come back to school sometime, but it was taken seriously. Zero tolerance. One failure, one, oops, I meant not to throw that. Didn't matter. Zero tolerance. Now, if we read Scripture in a certain way, God may appear to be sort of a zero tolerance God or a zero tolerance judge. 
I mean, God is the one who has the highest standards of holiness. God has set in Scripture and before us and written into this creation, there's our, there are laws, there are regulations, and there are severe consequences of that. And we have certain images, symbolic images in Scripture that speak of that and have grabbed the attention and the, uh, of many people down through history of fire and judgment and punishment and wrath. And those things are real. But if we see God only as this zero-tolerance God, then all seems to be lost. God does have the highest standards of holiness. But as we also read of those things, we read in the same word of God, we read the scripture in a different way, and we read it more thoroughly, and we see the whole story of God woven through in and through the person of Jesus, we find a God of grace. We find a God of patience. We find a God of second chances and third chances and 70th chances. And we discover a God of redemption and we find out that the whole story is not one of rules, broken, zero tolerance, punishment. But we find that woven in through that whole story is a God of redemption and God of salvation. And so it raises this question of redemption of how can God be both fully just and fully loving. Now, these are things that whole books are written on and seminary classes are done for several semesters. But I'm going to take care of it in just a minute or two here, so we're good, okay? <laughs> Seriously, we just, I just want to look at it in terms of this issue of the love of God. See, God is love, and redemption from God, or his acts in salvation to redeem us, meet the demands of justice. Look again at verse 9 and 10 say, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John weaves it right into this passage on God is love. Isn't it just a fuzzy God is love? Everything's fine. Let's just have a love fest. There's a cost right here in this passage. God loved us so much that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's redemption. That's why we call it redemption. Christ dying in our place. Christ satisfying the demands of God's law. Christ exemplifying the fullness of God's love that, he would, that it would cost something for us to get that grace. We're going to see that come through in this prodigal God story. The, son coming, the younger son coming back cost the older son something. And Keller will point out in the last couple chapters that Jesus is the true older brother who's willing to pay the price so that the younger brother gets back into the family. Jesus satisfies the demands of justice and therefore we have been redeemed. We have been purchased. God doesn't just wink at his own justice and say, ah, forget that. I'm just going to indulge you. No, there was a cost. We are free because we have been purchased and redeemed. God is still just and God is still love. It really does answer the demands of redemption. We don't even deserve it. We can't earn it. It is all from the God who is love, the God who makes us new in Jesus. Another one of the hearts that I found says, I hope. You can maybe figure out where that goes. But that brings us to the last question of hope, the question of life beyond. 
If God were just creator, if God had just created the earth and its inhabitants, then, then each of us would sort of live out this life and for a time and do whatever we do, and then we'd die and it would all be done, right? But God is love, and love has this sort of eternal quality to it. And we are understanding now that God didn't just create us. He made us for his pleasure. He made us for relationship. And since he's an eternal God, it's not like, well, I'm just going to have you around for a little while because I'm going to have you around with me forever. I like you that much. I'm going to let you live this earthly existence. And I'm going to encourage you during that time. I'm going to empower you to make a difference and, and live fully in the light of other people that they might know my love. I want you to make a difference in this earthly existence, but I got bigger plans than that. God is creator and he creates us for a relationship and he creates us for the ongoing relationship. And the simple question is, why do we live forever? Well, we live forever because he loves us and he wants us to be with him in eternity. Verse 9 again, and this time from the New Living Translation, says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. It's not a long, boring nothingness. No clouds and harps. But it's an eternity of meaningful activity. It's an eternity of fulfilling relationships. All in the life-giving presence of the one who is love. We choose to live in the presence of the one who is love. And if we choose to say my way and move the other direction, we're saying, you know, I would rather not live with you in eternity. And we face our own consequences. But God just says, here it is. I'm a God of love and I want you in my presence. I rediscovered a story this week that I found several years back. And I, I don't think I've used it here before. And even if I did, it's still good. So there, there's my disclaimer. But I, I love the point that it makes. The story is about a boy who had been just his parents, you know that expression, the apple of his eye. It's actually a scriptural term. He, they just loved this kid. But tragically, in his mid-teens, um, his life kind of went off the rails. He just struggled. He dropped out of school. He began hanging out with the kids that his parents didn't want him to hang out with. They couldn't keep control. And one night, he staggered into the house at about 3 a.m., and he was completely drunk. His mother slipped out of bed and left her room. The father followed, assuming that his wife was in the kitchen, perhaps crying. He'd found her like that before in a similar situation. Instead, he found her at her son's bedside, softly stroking his matted hair as he lay passed out drunk on the covers. What are you doing, the father asked. And the mother answered, he won't let me love him when he's awake. He won't let me love him when he's awake. This mother stepped into her son's darkness with a love that existed even though he did not love her back. And the parallel is drawn, so it is with God's love with us. God is love. God is always love. Even when we don't notice. Even when we are asleep to his presence and reality. Even when we are running the other direction. God is always like the perfect parent, stroking our messed up heads. God is always eager to share with us the joy of his creation. He says, I made you in my image. Come explore what that means. God is always inviting us to make this free choice to follow him. 
Never forcing it, but always extending the invitation. God is always extending his ongoing care of his providence, and we don't even notice it a lot of the times. I hung out with the senior high Sunday school class this morning, and Greg Scaniel did a great job teaching them. We were talking about miracles, and we talked about even those little mini-miracles where, where, where all of a sudden you realize you were just spared from something that could have been much worse. I was interested this week, I talked both to John Brorson, who broke his leg this week, he's doing okay, and to Diane Peterson, who, was, who had broke her wrist and had surgery, and both of them said, oh, it could have been so much worse. Oh, there's so many other people that are worse off than me. You know, they did that thing. But they really, both of them were almost stunned with how much worse it could have been. That they didn't hit their heads, for example, and other things that could have gone awry. Little miracles of God's providence that are going on around us all the time. And if you don't want to call them miracles, go ahead. But God's providence and care is always going on. Always evidence of his care coming through other people as well. God always offering us the gift of new life, the gift of redemption in Jesus. And God always offering this hope of life beyond and a meaningful life forever. It's hard to grasp that. I want to just finish with a few moments of quiet reflection. I actually, on the back of your bulletin, I actually drew a little heart. You can make your, you can design your own little candy heart. Um, isn't that sweet? <laughs> and um, the simple reflection questions for just a few moments here are, first of all, what do you most need to remember about God's love for you or his love for others? Which of these questions, and maybe these aren't the questions that you ask, but what do you today most need to remember about God's love for you and others? Maybe it's this issue of grace. Maybe it's this providential care. Maybe it's this engagement with other people. Maybe it's to be creative yourself because you're made in his image. What do you most need to remember about God's love for you and for others? And then finally, just in a time of your own silence and prayer, what do you most want to say to God right now? Let's spend just a few moments of silence and prayer. Holy God, we thank you that you are so thoroughly and essentially and vitally a God of love. Thank you for your grace and your patience that we're numb to what's going on and we're not aware of how we have perhaps hurt ourselves or you or others. You stroke our messed up heads and continue to love us and move towards us. I pray today, Lord, in this Valentine's Day weekend that you would move us away from the images that the culture and world gives us to the reality and the truth of your word and what your love empowers us to do and empowers us to be. We love you, Lord, and we give thanks for your deep love for us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.